Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Michelle, and I'll be reading today's scripture for us. Today's scripture comes to us from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 22, 25, 31 to 33. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. And now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks to Michelle. Thanks for the reading of God's word. If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to skip around to different sections or passages here. It is my, uh, my privilege uh, to speak as we continue in the Shalom series, especially on this topic of marriage. And there's just so much to say, but I pray that God would guide and direct all these words uh, for us today. Uh, if, if we can go back to the first slide, starting at verse 18, uh, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this entire context is about the the activity, the movement, the filling of the very Spirit of God, and all the kind of manifestations that come about because of the Spirit of God, and specifically how the Spirit of God makes marriages, I might say, musical. How does the Spirit of God actually make gospel music uh, in in in? The ways that we go about loving and respecting and submitting to one, to a husband and wife. So we're going to give our full attention to this at this time. I'm going to give four directions, four headings uh, as we unpack this passage. Uh, first is the phobias. We actually live in a very marriage-phobic culture. Second, two principles. Third, it's promise. Fourth, it's purpose. Okay, four Ps, phobias, second, principles, third, it's promise, fourth, it's purpose, marriage phobic. One, I believe, is an economic factor. Uh, you might know that certain Asian countries, uh, a lot of couples are just delaying marriages and they're refusing to get married, they're refusing to have kids uh, here in the United States. In 2018, it was the lowest marriage rate that was ever recorded. <laughs> this is pre-pandemic. The lowest marriage rate ever recorded, even greater than the Great Depression. So, as we're coming out of this pandemic, it's great to see some of your faces. Uh, there's probably more economic pressure and distress, and there's more apparent in inequality 
uh, about us. So I don't think this bodes well for marriages to increase. So a first kind of fear, a natural kind of economic fear, is uh, you need a job and how can you pay for it? How can you sustain it? Okay? Second, it's experiential. Okay, I'll call it by personal exposure and personal experience. Of course, so some of you have grown up with very, very painful, painful marriages. These were not good models. You're trying to avoid it. You're trying to become so different from it. Families fell apart. Or you might be going through it right now in your personal exposure with close friends. And then along with that, the availability of casual sex which, by the way, there's no such thing, at least at first. There's really no such thing as casual sex. Uh, widespread pornography, birth control, abortion. These factors distort and delay the institution of marriage, too. There's an economic fear. There's an experiential fear. Third, expectations, just expectations that we have. Of course, there's a lot of people who said, I'm not going to get married until I meet the perfect one, the perfect match for me, the one perfect match for me. This is unrealistic. This is mythical. Ernest Becker explains it in this way, why we might have such lofty expectations. Uh, according to Becker, the failure of romantic love as a, as a solution to human problems is so much a part of modern man's frustration. No human relationship can bear the burden of godhood. What is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want to get rid of our faults, of our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified to know our existence has not been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. Needless to say, human partners cannot give this. The expectation that there's going to be one perfect match for you who will complete you and make you happy forever after actually shows how fearful we are of it. Fourth, last one real quick. Experiment. Because we're so marriage-phobic, we've got to experiment with it. Kind of like try it out in some pseudo fashion. A quarter of unmarried women between the ages of 25 to 40 are living with a partner. Half of all women between the ages of 20 to 40 will cohabitate at some point. Half. This is the assumption that you got to try out living together. You got to try out if you're compatible. You got to try out physical and romantic chemistry, and then you may decide to move forward towards marriage. But all these statistics tell us a cautionary tale, tell us otherwise. Um, You are much more likely to divorce after cohabitation, and in any relationship, the earlier sex is introduced, the earlier sex is introduced, it not only complicates things, but more likely leads to a breakup. So, now, who is suitable to marry? 
who should, who should get married? Who should, who should you uh, get married to? Well, obviously someone who has a job. Adequately well off. Someone who defies all previous and past experiences and exposures. Someone who seems to be the perfect match for you. Now let me unpack that. You know, perfect match for me, that's code. That is code for they find nothing wrong with you and you in turn find nothing wrong with them. Because so many people say, what is the perfect match for you? What? Someone who doesn't want to change me. They're going to leave me alone. So someone who's well off, someone who defies all previous, exp- uh, all previous experiences, someone who seems to be the perfect match, and then you just want to top it all off, then someone Christian too. Gorgeous and handsome. Funny and witty would be great as well. You know, the author, the pastor, Tim Keller, his most popular sermons and books is on this topic of marriage. And he says, our modern culture puts more pressure on marriage than, than the Bible does. Our modern culture actually idealizes, makes it almost impossible. That's how phobic we are of what it means to be married and how we can last as married people. So, why and when and to whom should you get married? Most people are going to say, oh, until I feel ready. Until I've got all these things in a row, until I got all these things under control, then I'm gonna feel ready. How about the reality is you're always going to get married before you're ready? How about the reality is you're always gonna be married ill prepared, not fully ready? And then there's another statistic that tells you 62%, 62% of all marriages that last beyond five years, make it past five years, report not only are they happy, but very happy. Very happy. Four phobias. Four phobias. Now we get into God's word, into this context of don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two principles. Because the whole context here is if you are moved by the Holy Spirit, there are three dead-on marks. There's three manifestations. You're going to sing and make music. You're going to become very musical, at least from your heart. Very musical in praise and worship to God. Second, you'll be filled with gratitude. Gratitude, not apathy, not anxiety, not worry, not fear, not complaint, not cynicism. First mark of the Holy Spirit's activity, music making. Second, thanksgiving, gratitude. Third, is submission. I just want to unpack that analogy of making music, gospel music in marriage by the power of the Holy Spirit. Michelle read, of course, in verse 22, 25, and 33, there are different, there are different commands, different responsibilities given by God's design. And I've just got two principles from this passage. First, first. Appreciate, don't just accept, appreciate God-given differences. Okay? Appreciate God-given differences. Apostle Paul speaks to wives, then he speaks to husbands. Different callings. Different ways to make your marriage sing. 
different responsibilities to experience shalom in marriage. Appreciate God-given differences. Most of you have met my wife. Some of you have not had that pleasure. But Sunny is smarter, steadier, tougher than me on many levels. That's a fact. I've come to that realization in spades. My girls grew up not only with a loving mom, but a BFF. My girls grew up with basic hygiene in the house. They have gourmet home cooking. We own a house. Great, great credit rating. She is enormously hospitable, merciful. Savings gets all the right deals for, for our family vacations. All of our financial kind of matters are in order. She's also been an example of constant, constant industry and diligence. You know, when we first got married, she moved up from Miami to Virginia, became a pastor's wife right away. I remember, I don't think there's a day that she did not work. She found a part-time job at the mall. I think it was Jimboree. Jimboree at Tyson's Corner Mall in Northern Virginia. She always, always had to be serving, always had to be useful, always had to be doing something to help contribute or provide. You know, in the last 20 years of our marriage, we celebrated our 20th anniversary this week, I realized that I'm able to freely and fully throw myself into a couple things according to my job because I have come to entirely trust, respect, need, and rely on her to handle almost everything else in life and do it better than most. Now, this is not normative. That's an example of Sonny and I. What I want to say is that there are God-given differences that are not interchangeable, but they're complementary. There are God-given differences that go well beyond the cultural stereotypes of being male or female. Oh, this gender should actually be out working and this gender should actually stay at home. No, the Bible never speaks this way. But the differences go well beyond all those stereotypes, even as much as we may want to remove them. But when you accept and when you appreciate different parts coming together in loving union, it makes for much better music for the glory of God and actually as a witness to the world. Appreciate God-given differences. Okay, here's the second principle, just two. Second is pay attention to your part and play your part well. Okay? Pay attention to your part. Don't pay attention to the other person's part. And play your part well. And almost every time I come to Ephesians chapter 5, especially at weddings, I see husbands turning to wives when it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And husbands literally turn to their wife. This happened at the teacher service again. It was really funny. And they turn to the wife. and They're basically saying, Hey, honey, please listen to this part. And they're like, Pastor, get him. Please get my wife. Go get him. Yes, you fellow male person up there. Tell them what they should do. And this is where exactly you're going wrong. You're completely off track. Because it's not your part to play the other's part. 
It's only your part to play your part and to play it well. Verse 22. Yes, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Yes, wives are commanded to do this, but it's not just reserved for wives. Back in verse 21, which we just read, the third mark of the Holy Spirit's activity and moving and filling is universal, mutual submission among all Christian people. Jesus Christ himself submitted to his Father in heaven lifelong. The Holy Spirit makes his people mutually, harmoniously submissive. You see, if you stubbornly refuse to apologize, if you stubbornly refuse to give in on any corner, on any matter, if you stubbornly refuse to say, I will never own that wrong, I will never ever submit to your ways, then what's most likely going to happen is that relationship will suffer and die. Submission. Submission is the only way. The only way. There's no way around it. As to how love relationships not only survive, but come to experience shalom. Shalom. Along with submission, read a funny, crazy verse in chapter 5, verse 33, where it read, Wives, respect your husbands. Respect your husbands. You know, berating your husband. Yes, he has got all kinds of faults and deficiencies. Nagging and harping down on that. The criticism way outweighs any kind of encouragement. The judging, the belittling, the withholding. Usually doesn't ever make a better man. It just makes him bitter. What I know from my own heart and from many other men, yes, we all have free, fragile egos. Absolutely. But there is nothing more attractive, empowering, enthralling than a man who loves a woman and the very woman he so loves respects him back. Respects him back. Pay attention to your part. Play it well. Wives, submission, and respect. As Jesus did. Ah, now we turn to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. As Jesus Christ himself loved the church. If you pay attention to this command, I don't know how you have the bandwidth to even think about or judge the part that your spouse is supposed to play. Husbands, all husbands, if you're married, you are commanded to love your wives the way that Jesus loves you, his church. That means with initiative. That means with holiness. That means with self-sacrifice. Well beyond submission. Women and children, get off that sinking boat first. Women and children, leave Ukraine first. We all know instinctively that is right. That is right. Because men are called to a greater sacrifice than submission. But I just want to simplify this command today. I want to make it so lofty and impractical for you. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. Let me simplify it, okay? Can I ask you if you're married? Does your wife know 
that you love her? Does she know it? Do you communicate it? Is it registered? Is it felt on the other end? You know, a lot of us grew up in households where dads work so hard. And they work so hard for the future, for the security, for immigrants, for the house, to pay off the bills, for food, for schooling, for your sports, to provide for the family. And so, you know, usually, typically, the man comes home overworked, overtired, and he has nothing to say or nothing to share. And maybe the wife wants to connect or share something because she has been at home that day. And when she bothers him to engage in some level beyond work, the man actually wonders aloud, what more do you want from me? I mean, what else do you want from me? I have been working all these years. Look at what I'm doing. Don't you know this is all for the kids and for you? Can I just suggest to you that men doing that oftentimes, just like our parents did in their marriages, may fall short of the way that your wife may know and feel that you really love her? You know, maybe what if her love language is different from yours? What if she wants to be told how much you love her? What if she wants letters or emails that write out and describe the amount of love for her. Maybe she needs to be listened to and soothed and comforted, not fixed, but just listened to for an extended, unfiltered, uninterrupted amount of time. Maybe she wants to be held and touched with affection and tenderness. Maybe she wants to see in your eyes and in your body language that you're not distant or aloof or just irritable or tired or resentful. Maybe wives do pick up on all those cues that no matter, even if you know you're commanded to love your wives, does your wife know and feel that from you? And to love your wife as Jesus loved the church, I assure you, has to mean in the least that your wife would know and feel that from you. You know, it's a practical joke on our anniversary day. Sonny came home and said, don't you have anything for me? So I started writing the card. That was on purpose in front of her. And then I gave her a Christian book. <laughs> she takes the book, doesn't even know what the title of the author is, and then she just starts flipping through it to see if anything falls out of that book. Yeah, my wife wants more than a Christian book on our 20th anniversary. Something special, something surprising, something meaningful. Yes. Wives, submit and respect. Husbands, lo love your wives as Jesus loved the church. That's on you. Husbands, that's on you. That's on me. That's on us. And I don't know any wives, just in marriage here, I don't know any wives who have issues following, respecting, trusting, and loving men who lead and love like Jesus. Four phobias, two principles, third, it's promise. 
Marriage happens, biblically speaking, by making covenantal promises. Covenantal. Verbal and physical. Marriage, according to the scriptures, is a covenantal promise that is not merely horizontal. It's not just contractual. But it's triangular and vertical in nature. Because according to Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, Proverbs chapter 2, at every wedding, God is the chief witness to that wedding. Because God created it. He came up with the institution, the idea of marriage. And not only is a witness to every marriage, every wedding, whether they glorify or worship him or not, he's not only witness to it, but he is the chief, much greater third party. All marriages actually happen, whether you know it or not, triangularly, vertically. God is the one that is witness to the promises. And it's these covenantal promises that create an oasis of predictability and security in a completely unpredictable and insecure world. Covenantal promises, which is what makes up or make or break to marriage, is what creates the oasis. An oasis. In a falling apart, deteriorating, parched world. Because in wedding vows or covenantal promises, you remember what they sound like? Remember what you said if you're married? Or those of you maybe looking to get married? I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, for as long as they both shall live. This is my vow. This is my promise of faithfulness to you. I promise the future only to you and to be for you. There's no conditions there, right? There's no circumstances there. Now, to be sure, there are biblical grounds for divorce. There are biblical grounds for divorce. If you've gone through that, or you know someone who's going through that, the gospel tells you that never defines you or determines you. There is someone who is unashamed of you. Lift up your heads, for he is born and taken away all your shame. Someone who is unashamed to be called your God, your Savior, your lover. And the one who says to you, I will never divorce you. Biblical grounds to be sure, but these covenantal promises create an environment in which the exit door is really not an option. Covenantal promises create safety, openness, honesty, vulnerability, a environment for growth, an environment to really go all the way in, an environment in which, yes, there are all kinds of strings attached. God is your witness. And in that safety, in that context, which we call marriage, God is wanting to make beautiful Gospel music for you to enjoy and for the world to hear. Because of a promise you made. It's a promise you made. It's a promise that God will help you keep. 
On Monday, when I was walking around a track for my hour or so, I called Sonny on her lunch break and asked her, Sonny, been married 20 years, we're celebrating it this year, preparing a message on it, want to share a little bit more about our lives. I want to talk about the highs and the lows, Sonny. Tell me, what are some of the highs and lows? Let's start with the highs, Sonny. What were the highs? Long, awkward silence. Hello, Sonny, is it still on? What were the highs? Just silence. Sighing. Okay, what are the lows? What are the lows? She says, why do you ask me this? I'm not going to write your sermon for you. You know what they are. (laughs) Truth be told, that is exactly what she gave her first response. I wish I could tell you something more moving and profound after 20 years of marriage. But after some moments passed, I know i got to wait a little bit. She said, oh, okay, I'll tell you one. It's a high and a low. It's a high and a low. Harold, do you remember seven or eight years ago when we lived in La Palma? We had this tremendously awful extended blowout fight. I do remember it. It was probably one of our worst. Probably lasted all night long. And in the, toward the end of that, way too long, unnecessary, uh, unnecessarily fight. She came up to me and she said, um, she said, I'm done. Harold, I'm done. Uh, evidently, the way we fought, the way I am, how I fight, the words I would say, how I would use that situation to bring maybe maximum pain, was just way too exhausting. It was just too painful for her. She said, I'm done. Sonny went on to say, but soon thereafter, she was in a worship service here at CCSC, and the gospel was being preached, and she had found that in her heart she had forgiven me and was able to move forward after that fight or the host of fights we've had in our past. And what she realized during worship with you was that the gospel must be powerful. The gospel must be real. The gospel is living and active in Sonny's life because she said the only way she'd be able to forgive and move forward was because the gospel at work in her I guess that's a high and a low together. And on that phone call, I could hear her cry. I heard her cry, just reliving that moment in our very broken married life. I didn't cry at that moment. Later on, I went home and I did weep. And I wept, but I wept more because of, she is far more beautiful to me now. She's far more beautiful to me now. The attraction, the looks, the personality, the fun and the fights, the anniversaries, the milestones, all kinds of changes, the highs and the lows, the joys and the pains, they'll all come and go, they'll all come and go. But she is beautiful to me now because by the grace of God, 
She's keeping her promise. And I can't believe it. She's beautiful to me now because she loves me so. She still loves me so. What grace. What grace. Marriage is a promise. It's not your passions. Marriage is a promise. It's not just hurt feelings. Marriage is a promise. As long as we both shall live, I will be for, be with, all out for you. My high, I'll just close with one more thing, at the risk of sharing too much about ourselves. My high is it's pretty unmistakable. Uh, eight or nine years ago, I think it was the year of the white tiger. I don't even know what that is, but it was the year of the white tiger. It's like in Asian calendars, like something extraordinary. It's like the, all the stars have aligned. And Sonny's father was born in the year of a white tiger. And so we had already had Taylor and Elizabeth to rambunctious, adorable girls, but one time she was driving, I was driving, came to a stop sign, she was sitting right next to me in the passenger seat, and she goes, Harold, you do know it's the year of a white tiger? I said, yeah. My dad was born in the year of a white tiger. I said, yeah, and then she just goes, (laughs) that I'll take to my grave. Nothing spiritual about that. It's just awesome that that happened. It was awesome. So how do you and how can you promise the future and fulfill it to be forever true to one person? You do it the way that Sonny found it. Because when you and I failed to do our part, God came down to do his part all the way to its bitter end. God kept his promise. He kept actually both sides. He brought Jesus to take and bear all the violations, all the brokenness, all the broken hearts, all the broken hearts in the ways that we failed to do our part, but he came and loved us still. The very gospel. And listen, when you feel like you're done, I'm so done. I don't know how I'm going to get up the next morning and come back around and resurrect this thing. Let me give you the good news again. You don't have to be the one to resurrect it. As long as you need the Holy Spirit, you cry out and you need to be moved and filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Of God. The greater third party. Remember the greater third party? The one who is witness to it? He's the one. The only one. That can really empower and help you to keep a promise by his work. Last thing, purpose. Purpose. Verses 31 and 32, Apostle Paul concludes in this really well-known passage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a profound mystery because it's a reflection of Jesus and his people, the church. 
One of the most mesmerizing things to me in the last couple of years is when I'm at the park or just out or even at the mall, I see elderly couples like look like they're in their 90s, 80s and 90s, but they're holding hands. They're looking at one another and they're smiling. They're tender and they're affectionate still. You can see that love has only endured maybe increased? I'm hearing music when I see that. I'm longing for that kind of music when I see that. That's the kind of music the world is dying for when they see marriages like that. Marriage is not for your personal fulfillment. Marriage is not for your personal satisfaction. Marriage is not for your individual expression. Marriage is not about fulfilling tradition and social pressures. It's not merely to procreate, as you heard so well from Pastor Daniel Dinko last week. Marriage is not so that you can enjoy longer, happier, healthier lives, although all the studies tell you most likely you will. Marriage is none of these things according to this passage of Scripture. It is a profound mystery that refers to someone much greater. This is way bigger than you. It's actually not really ultimately about you or your spouse. It's supposed to be music making that is an echo of heaven, an anthem that is blaring throughout this world. Of the kind of love that Jesus would have for his church. So here's the purpose of marriage. Here's the purpose of marriage according to this passage. The purpose of marriage is to love someone entirely, exclusively, extravagantly as a witness to God's own love poured out for you. The purpose of marriage is to lose yourself in love for someone else as Jesus did. The purpose of marriage, my dear friends, is to lose yourself to love someone else as Jesus did. And when you learn to do this, marriages improve with age. Marriages get sweeter with age. Marriages are far more profound with age. I think part of the profound mystery, there must be a million implications of it. I don't know what they are. But one part must be that you and I get to fall into each other's arms in marriage only to realize in the age to come those arms were always his. Part of the marvel and the beauty And the mystery in the gift of marriage is that we get to carry, hold one another up, love each other until the day we die, only to wake up in the arms of someone else who was always holding us all our days. Let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray for all who are here listening 
And I pray for those in marriage, in our married lives. And I pray, O oh Lord, by your convicting, gentle, gracious spirit. Lord, bring about health, life, and shalom. It may take many steps. It may take some pain. It may take repentance and apology. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage all of us here to see what you have done for us in the gospel so that we might follow the footsteps of Jesus. And even if it means that we go into our own kinds of death, where we lose ourselves and deny ourselves, you have promised you would resurrect and bring life out of death, new love out of death, joy out of death. Oh, Lord, I pray, answer, oh, Lord, this prayer for all of our married couples here. And I pray for all of us, oh, God, who may be waiting or longing for marriage, or those who have gone through painful experiences with marriage, Jesus, bring us to yourself once again. Hold us up. Carry us home. And may we, God, continue to love and follow you all our days. The one who never breaks his covenant with us. To you be all the honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.